welcome to this King's Church talk. We hope that you really enjoy it. If you have any questions, please email us on admin at kingscc.org or you can go to the website www.kingscc.org. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. I've really enjoyed the, uh, the real life preaches that we've had over the last few weeks and uh, tackling such subjects as um, sex and work and uh, depression that Paul and Becca did um, just a few weeks ago, which I found so helpful. And, um, and Paul mentioned then about, you know, each of us have, have perhaps particular expertise in some area. And he spoke very much from a heart uh, place on, on depression. And I found that ever so helpful. Um, uh, and now we're doing being single. And you may look at me and think, well, Dave, how did you end up with that? You know, I've... <laughs> For those of you who don't know, I, I got married in 1986, I think. Um, oh. But I do remember the date, which is better than Hazel manages every year. So, oh. But I, I've actually been married most of my adult life. And, uh, and therefore, you may think, well, why is Dave speaking on that? And the answer, I think, is this. Apart from Roger made me. Our reference points in all these things do not come from our experience. Our experience adds to them, but they come from the Bible. They come from Scripture. They come from God's revealed word. And we're going to be looking at that. But, but it gets understood through real life. Um, and to that end, um, I will be speaking a bit, and, and Alex will be sharing with you uh, in a moment. Um, but... Um, I've been quite gripped by that. I've been gripped by this book, too, that, that Paul's just advertised. I'll say something about that shortly. Um, but um, I, I thought I'd, uh, I'd kick off with, with a passage which I, I hadn't really ever... No, I, I, like Sarah was saying, I have actually read through the whole Bible. I just never noticed that this, one, this passage was in there, really. So, Richard, if you could make 1 Corinthians 7 appear for me. This is Paul writing to the, the church in Corinth. And, and he starts off nicely. He said, I'd like you to be free from concern. And that's good because we don't want to be anxious about things. And then goes on to say this. It says, an unmarried man is concerned with the Lord's affairs, how, can, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned with the affairs of, it, of this world and how he can please, please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world how she completes her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And I thought, surely that isn't in the Bible. <laughs> so Paul's saying, it, and he goes on, just in case you're not sure, he goes on to say, it'd actually be better if you were like me. Paul wasn't married, and he said, it'd be better if you were like me and not married. And, and just in case we're worrying about qualifications to preach on being single, Paul's teaching on being single was based on being sick. But he also brings us all the teaching we have on marriage, I think, in the Bible. Quite a lot of it comes from Paul's teaching as well. He wasn't married, but he was, he was qualified to do it because it was rooted in what God had revealed. So we'll be looking at that. I shall come back to um, this passage and what we're going to do with it and stuff. But uh, I'm now going to hand over to Alex, who's just going to share a, a great story. And uh, yes, let's just hand over, I think. Well, <laughs> thank you, Dave. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I um, 
been a Christian since I was about 18. Um, obviously Scottish. Um, lived in uh, lived in London for about 20 years. Uh, then moved to Macclesfield. Lived there for about eight years, and then moved here about seven years ago. Um, but it, it, it is genuinely a, an honour and a privilege to be asked to speak to you today about being single. And, and I hope I can share some life experiences which um, will help with understanding um, and a bit of insight into um, being single. But I can only speak from my own experiences and probably uh, my experiences are quite narrow because it's, it's my life. And... Um, just in case you're wondering, I've never been married and I don't have children, so that's the perspective I'm coming from. However, I do believe there are some common themes which you will find relevant and helpful, and as a church to help us understand uh, what it is to be single. Just as a bit of background, uh, there is some research out there that says about 35 to 40% of church membership are single, uh, and so it's a topic that's relevant to, to a large number of us. But there's great diversity in who's single. Um, diversity in experience and circumstances um, that mean that we are single. Some are divorced. Some of their partners have passed away. Some have never been married. Others might choose to be single. But whatever the reasons, um, the experience of being through the decades can look and feel very different. Life might look different for a person who is single compared with a person who is married, but that doesn't mean to say that your life needs to be any uh, less fulfilled or, or less complete. Our culture today puts an awful lot of emphasis on being married and also puts a lot of emphasis on being single and sometimes I think that can come across in a negative way. Um, and I've had that, I've certainly had that experience about, you know, um, some, somebody saying, have you got another half or do you have children? And quite recently I experienced with a colleague that, that uh, you know, somebody I didn't know very well. And she said, oh, are you married? Do you have children? And when I said no, she was kind of like, oh, what do I say now? And there was that sort of awkward, because that's what society has said is the norm. And actually, I don't know that it is. Um, but anyway, there are benefits to being single. We can be more flexible with our time. We can be more flexible with our money. We can, be, we can live quite flexible lifestyles. And in some cases, we have more choice because we don't have to consider the opinions of partners or wishes. And life can be, but isn't always, less complicated. And as uh, Dave said, Paul does refer to that in these letters in 1 Corinthians 7.32. And actually, I've often thought that my life <laughs> is less complicated than, um, and more straightforward than people who have families or partners. I don't have to worry um, um, and, uh, about the angst that comes with having a family. Um, and we can do things that other people can't do. We can serve in different ways that might not be the case otherwise. Um, we can form a wide range of friendships the Apostle Paul had a, a wide web of very close friends in lots of different places. He had a spiritual family. And having friends who speak into our lives and who can challenge us and who we are accountable to is a very good thing. I asked a young 26-year-old friend of mine, who you all know, but I'm not going to say who she is, 
Um, what would her advice be to somebody her age who's single? And her reply was, and I'm, I'm quoting this, she said, I would say stop looking, be complete by yourself and keep bettering yourself and enjoy the time when you are single as you don't know how much time you have left of being single. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Then I asked a 63-year-old male friend of mine exactly the same question. And he said, don't let it stop you getting on and doing things for God. And although these two people are at different ends of the life, you know, life's, life age, I thought they were remarkably similar in the advice that they were offering. So what are some of the challenges to being single? Well, believe it or not, holidays. Who are you going to go with? Are you going to get on with them? Will they like doing the things that you do? Can, can you afford to do what they want to do? Can they afford to do what you want to do? You know, are we going to go camping or are we going to go to Spain for two weeks? You know, well. And that, and that is a real challenge because we all need a break. You know, so that's, that's, a, that's quite a big issue. Um, but I think one of the biggest things for me is decisions. So any, any decisions that, that you make as a, as a single person or that I've had to make are mine and mine alone. And I can ask for advice, but at the end of the day, the decisions lie completely on my shoulders. And that is a big, and can be quite a lonely place to be. Where I live, what job I do, um, what, do I buy a house, do I buy a car, what do I do? All those decisions, are big life decisions, sit completely on your shoulders. And that, that is actually one of the hardest things, I think. But then there's things about where do you go for emotional support? If you, I mean, I live in my own, so where do you go for emotional support? If I've had a bad day or somebody rings me and upsets me, you know, where do I go for emotional support? I have to physically get out my house and go and see somebody um, or go on the phone to somebody. And then there's things like um, wanting something that is beyond your control, perhaps being disappointed with the things that you thought were going to happen this is not the life that I expected. Not having children, wanting to have children, not being able to have, have them. Friends and family get married, start having children. Not having a partner, wanting to meet somebody or meeting somebody and then it not working out. So they're all, they're all quite challenging things. However, I thought it would be good to take you through the decades of my life and give you a little bit of a reflection. So here we go. When I was 20... <laughs> which was only about 10 years ago. Uh, <laughs> so this was my plan, right? I was getting married at 24. I was having kids when I was 26. I thought I wanted boys. And then I thought, well, actually, I'd quite like two of each. And that didn't happen. That didn't happen. And suddenly, I was living my life. And it felt like I was living my life in a waiting room. And that was quite a difficult place to be. So then I went into my 30s. So I'm in my 30s and I met someone, but it didn't work out. And it was a very difficult time for me because my biological clock was ticking. So just, just have a think about this. The longing for children and a family is just as real for a single person as it is for a married person. Longing for something that you can't have or that you, you have no control over is a very difficult place, particularly for a woman in her 30s. 
particularly. It's very difficult. It's very challenging. And as the family of God, how can we best support someone in these circumstances? We're good at supporting couples who struggle to have children, but do we do the same for single people? However, it was all, all doom and gloom in my 30s. I was, I, I was going on with God and God was doing some amazing stuff in my life. He did a lot of healing about um, my relationship with my dad. Um, I came to know God as my father. Um, I, found, I was starting to find my identity in Christ, tr trusting God with my decisions, with my family, with my mortgage, with my friends. And so it was a time of spiritual growth and excitement as well. And then I moved into my 40s. And I, no, don't say it. I, I can't believe it. Uh, however, moving into my 40s, this was actually still quite difficult as well. I was getting a bit too old to have children. Any men that I seemed to like were looking for folk who were about 10 years younger than me so that they could have kids. You know, so that's quite tricky as well. And I did all the, um, you know, all the online dating and single holidays and all that sort of stuff. You know, so I, I did, I did uh, go, go to that place. However, I did become more and more content as who I was as a Christian um, and wanted to pursue God and the plans that he had for my life. And eventually, I moved here. And much to my surprise, I wasn't expecting this at all, I didn't feel single anymore. I thought, oh, that's interesting. And... And that's because that I was loved and accepted. People made friends with me and included me. So thank you. That was, that, that was very powerful and, and, and means a lot to me. <clears throat> but it would be wrong of me not to talk about my own family. And you can have lovely relationships with you. Your niece, your niece and nephews, and I have got very, a very lovely relationship with my own niece and nephew, who you will see coming to visit me, which is great. And I even go on city breaks with my nephew. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> Daniel and I in Berlin, you haven't seen anything. <laughs> but that's important. I think that's important to know that you can have very good, fulfilling and... Um, uh, uh, yeah, fulfilling relationships with your, with your own family. So anyway, I moved into my 50s. Never. 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 <laughs> well, you know, just 50. Yeah, right. <clears throat> um, and not long after I moved here, someone gave me the scripture of Isaiah 54, which says, Sing, O barren woman, you who have never bore a child, burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of, than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. And then it goes on to say in verse 5, For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. And I thought... What on earth am I meant to do with that? You know? And, and part of me still doesn't quite know what to do with it. But there's part of me that is quite excited about it and is filled with anticipation. Because God does more than we can ask for or imagine. We can be spiritual parents. We can help nurture the generations that come on behind us. And as you know, I've shared this before, 
that God gave me a spiritual son from this church, Mark, which is wonderful, and I share him with Richard and Judy. <laughs> and others, and others. Um, and now I have a daughter-in-law and a wee grandson, only in God, and that's wonderful. Um, but I can also be a, I can also be a spiritual, I can, I can have spiritual children to my friend's biological children, if that makes sense. And I can be Auntie Alex, which is lovely. And again, there is such fulfilment and a sense of purpose in nurturing and supporting others. But one of the biggest messages that I would want to get over from this talk is about who God says I am in Christ. I am not defined by being single. I'm chosen. I am a child of God. I know God is my father. I am in God's sovereign plans. I want to live a fulfilled life, and I'm sure, as I'm sure we all do. But life is not about labels. It's not about being married. It's not about being single. And Jesus came that we should have life and life to the full. I think that's John 10.10. 10. Um, and so, do you know who I am? I am a child of God. I am a son or a daughter of the Most High. I am in God's sovereign plans. He who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion. That's Philippians 1.6. And I found this scripture recently. And this is Colossians 1.9-14. So listen to this. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power through his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. This is nothing to do with being married or being single. Nothing to do with it because God has qualified us and I think that's wonderful. So purpose. Does God have a purpose for me being single? I'm sure lots of people have, well, maybe not lots of people, but you know, I'm sure we all ask that question one way or another. Does God have a purpose? Whether it is um, a, a long season of, of my season of being single or short life, then of course God has a purpose. God has a purpose for all our lives. For me, it's more about living each day with Jesus, no matter what my status is. And do you remember Brent preached that fantastic uh, preach about revival a few weeks ago, which is, I've become completely obsessed with the Hebridean revival now, which is brilliant. And there's three words, old ladies, Prayers. It's good, isn't it? Old ladies' prayers. And that's very encouraging to me. Because, the, the, and I'm sure these ladies were single because they were well into their 80s. Um, and um, I think that's great encouragement because they ushered in the Hebridean revival because they prayed 
And so the impact that God used of those old ladies' prayers, I think, is fantastic. So another story just to um, illustrate some, a, a single person's life circumstances. This is a friend of mine. Um, she has said I can share this story, and I'm, I won't tell you her real name, but I'll call her Pam. So Pam lives in London. And about five or six years ago, she started to notice an elderly neighbour called Michael, who was always standing in his front, front door um, as she walked down the street. He was always just standing in his front door. And gradually, she started to speak to him and discovered that he um, had lived in the same house all his life with his, um, el with his disabled brother. He had no family, no relatives, and his brother had recently died. And Michael was very lonely. So she started to take a meal to him on a Sunday. She took him Sunday lunch, and she did that for a couple of years. But eventually Michael's health deteriorated, and he ended up in hospital, and eventually ended up in a care home. And Pam continued to visit Michael, and she helped him with some of the practical things about clearing out his house, because he'd lived there forever, and there was piles of stuff all over the house. And she, her and a couple of other neighbours just helped him, um, uh, you know, do that. Um, and in the end, Michael passed away. And after um, several months, quite a long time, maybe nine, ten months, I was visiting Pam, which I, which I do regularly. Uh, and I said to her, whatever happened to Michael's house? And um, she was a bit vague, and she said, oh, um, it's going through probate. And then a few weeks later, because I'm dead nosy and I like to ask these things. I said, what happened to Michael's house? And she looked at me and she was really cross with me. And she said, Alex, he left it to me, okay? He left it to me. Don't you dare tell anybody. So I was like, mm, which is very hard for me. But I did do it. I did do it. And the purpose of, so this is a three-bedroom three Victorian house in southeast London two or three years ago, which is worth a heck of a lot of money, even in the state that it was in. Um, and she was able to um, use the money that she'd inherited from her mother, when her mum died, to do up Michael's house. And she offered it to her church, her local church, because the house is just around the corner from the church, for someone to come and live in at a reduced rent and so what happened was that there was a young pastor and his wife and family now live there and it's very close to the church and the young pastor works for the church. And he could never have afforded to live in that area and pay the rent that would, he would have been required. And so the point of telling you this story is how God used my friend and her servant heart and her willingness to give back to God what he had given her for his plans and purposes and maybe he would have done it. He, God can use all circumstances. But I think because of her particular circumstances um, and the heart that she has, God was able to use that. So the labels and, the labels, um, and roles that we call each other in life are all temporary. Um, father, wife, mother, daughter. What is important is about developing a godly character. A godly character that will help us to glorify God in any season of life. Our fulfillment comes from being in Christ. And friendships are very important. In the Bible, Jesus had deep and intimate friendships. Jesus said, I call you friends because everything the Father has revealed to me, I have made known to you. And a friend is someone who lets you in, who lets you know what's going on. 
um, who, who knows what's going on on the inside. And Proverbs says, a friend knows your soul, your inner soul. You can't be wise without friends. And this is something we all need. Married couples need friends. We all need friends. A partner cannot meet all your friendship, emotional and intimacy needs. And living as a family, being single is an issue that is immediate and personal for all of us. Some are happy being single, some are less happy being single, but it is something that is relevant for all of us. For the whole church, it's something I think the whole church should think about and be aware of. Because those of us who are not single could well end up being single at some point by the death of a spouse or by divorce. So now is a good time to think about what the Bible says about being single. We're, we are a body and we need to know how to help and support one another. So when my dad died um, about four years ago, I didn't really know what to do with myself. Although it was expected, when it happened, I was, I was all over the place. And uh, Chris and Gail were very, it was quite funny, actually. I mean, it wasn't funny, but, you know. Um, <laughs> um, they, they asked me over, and they were doing up the garden, where well, the Johnsons were helping them as well. And they needed this wall painting. <laughs> so I said, they said, you want to come over? I said, yeah, that would be lovely. And so I painted this wall. And it was great because it was so mindless and therapeutic, you know. And then they said, do you want to stay for tea? I said, oh, that would be great. And then they said, do you, want, do you want a glass of wine? I said, oh, that would be great. And then they said, do you want to stay over? I said, that would be great. <laughs> so I stayed over. And then the next day, I went home. I came back again. And I painted more wall. And then he said, do you want to stay for tea? I said, yeah, that would be great. Do you want to stay over? Yeah, that would be great. And none of it was planned. <laughs> And who can resist Chris's cooking? Um, and, and, and then it happened again. So I ended up spending the whole weekend there. None of it was planned. But they gave me the, the love and the care and the support that I needed at, at that time. And similarly, when I lived in Macclesfield, there was a lovely couple called John and Wendy who had um, two sons called Nat and Will. And um, their boys were probably about 13, 14 at that time. Um, and they just welcomed me into their home. They didn't make a fuss. They just said, do you want to come for tea? Do you want to go out for pizza? Do you want to walk the dog? Do you want to watch a movie tonight? Do you want to come round? And they just let me hang out with them. And it was so nice. I knew I, uh, they would, I would have turned to them in an emergency. I knew I could just go and be myself. I knew I could go and sit on the couch and not say a word if I needed to. Or I could just sit and we'd just have a laugh. And it, it, it was lovely. It was really nice. Um, but moving on, um, as humans, we cannot underestimate the importance of close and intimate friendships, and we can experience intimacy in family, uh, in church family life, and, and the, God, the work of God should create intimacy. And Titus, in Titus 1.4, Paul talks about Titus as my true son in the faith. Um, whether you're single or not, we can all be involved in helping someone on the road to knowing Jesus and being born again. And, and similarly, um, uh, as a single person, we can be spiritual parents. Spiritual parenting um, has an eternal legacy. Uh, we can get involved in nurturing and raising someone. And being single um, should, not be an, should not be isolating. And marriage is not the only answer to it's not good for man to be alone. We need to encourage a culture in church where church family is like a real family and, and to open up our lives to others. 
So to sum up, if you don't remember anything else from what I've said, remember that we are who we are in Christ and that we're not defined, or I'm not defined by being single. That life is not about labels or about being married or about being single, but it is about Jesus wanting us to live the life and live life to the full that God has a purpose for our lives, whether we're married or whether we're single. And it's more about living each day with Jesus, no matter what our status is. And living in family, as the family of God, the church has a role and responsibility to be the family to a single person, to love and care for them and to nurture them and be there for them in good times and bad. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. You can. The, the reason I thought to do it this way round is, is Alex tells such positive stories, really, of, of what we is, think is a subject we, we might prefer not to even talk about most of the time. I can't remember when I've ever really heard uh, singleness being preached on as, a, as a, a thing. Alex says she doesn't like the word singleness, which is a shame because this book... I've read two books in three months. Roger would be so pleased. They both, Roger made me do it, um, which, is, which is one more than I managed last year. So I, I really don't read books. But this book um, by Sam Albury called Seven Myths of Singleness um, has actually challenged my, my all sorts, really, in me. So he writes as a, as a single man. Um, and there is another book, which I, I have also read, but not this year, um, uh, by... Uh, Ed Shaw, called The Plausibility Problem. And uh, both of them tackle what it means um, to be single. And uh, in the case of Ed Shaw, very, uh, he would say he's same-sex attracted. And, and so reading the scripture, saying, what am I supposed to do now in terms of, of a relationship going forward? Um, but the, the seven myths that Sam tackles, and there's just too much to go through in a preach, but, but I really do strongly recommend the book. But I'll tell you the, the, the seven things. One is that it's too hard to do, that it requires a special calling, that it means you'll have no intimacy, it means you'll have no family, it hinders ministry, it wastes your sexuality, and finally, that it is easy. And I think Alex has, has tackled most of those in, in her own experiences, and, and actually, he brings scriptural kind of backing in, into each of those areas. Um, and I'm going to just touch on, on some bits of that. But the reason that I've kind of wrestled with this and been challenged by it is that um, society, and especially the church, I think, operates with the expectation that to be fulfilled as a human being, we need to be married and have biological children. And, and I don't think we mean to do that in the church, but I think we do. Um, and, and there's just a, a sort of underlying thing that, that actually if you're not, married and, and have your own children, that somehow you're missing out. And that's our first reaction, you're missing out. And then I got to think about it. And that passage I started with from Paul speaking, uh, writing in 1 Corinthians 7 to the to Corinthians, he's, he's, actually, he's actually promoting being single above being married. And, and he does it quite strongly. And he continues in that chapter. And, and you're left thinking, oh, I, I shouldn't be thinking about getting married at all. And, and I've just messed up my whole life. But I'm sure he doesn't mean us to do that. But he, he's challenging the culture at the time, and he challenges the culture at this time here. We live in a world where, where I think, um, I, I've just, if you just observe news and, and the use of the internet and so on, 
the, the, the two things that seem to come through to me is that in order to be fulfilled as human beings, we need to have a romantic and sexual relationship. And the second is we need to have biological offspring. And those two things, and, and uh, there are stories every week about people who are desperate to have children, and, and they're, they're very sad stories, but the amount of effort that goes into this, it becomes all-consuming. And uh, I, I probably don't need to tell anyone about how much of the internet is devoted to um, dating sites and uh, sex sites as well. Um, it's quite a significant proportion. It, it's the human priority, almost, is those things. So you could argue that Paul is biased because he's never married, but I've always said he also teaches on, on marriage. Um, and uh, I, I think I've, I found that, that all of my reference points in life are, are being undermined as I've tried to, to wrestle with, with what it means to be single. And so I thought it would be good to, to go to some of the, the stuff. Um, Jesus was challenged. Um, yeah, let's do this. Jesus was challenged by a group of people who, um, he was in someone's house, and, and the house had got so full of people that, that there was no room for anyone else to get in. And, and his family heard about it, and his mother and his brothers, it says, turned up outside, you know, trying to bring him to his senses, really. And they, they you know, sent someone in to say, go and get him, he can't be doing this. And, uh, and, and he was given the message. And Jesus says this, he says, who, is my, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, if we're in Christ, if we are following Christ, then actually he is our role model. Was he married? No. Did he ever have a romantic or sexual relationship? I'm going to say no to that as well because the scripture says that, that uh, such a relationship outside marriage would be sinful and it tells us Jesus was without sin and therefore he did not have, there's, and there's certainly nothing in Scripture alluding to it in any way. But he did have very close relationships. He, John, in John's Gospel, describes himself as the disciple Jesus loved. There was a really close and intimate relationship. And if we actually do believe the worldview that, that actually I'm only really going to be fulfilled if I'm married and have my own children biologically, we, uh, and as a human being, that's how we find fulfillment, then we'll point to Jesus and say, well, clearly then he wasn't a fulfilled human being, and I just cannot believe that. He is God and he is fully man, fully man. And it's, it's fundamental to the Christian faith that he is. And actually, you can be a fully <laughs> um, complete human being without either of those things. But what did Jesus say would, would um, follow um, uh, when we follow him? Um, he, he's approached by a, a man at one point um, who um, is... Uh, described as, as a, uh, a man who um, was very rich. Uh, and we often refer to him as the rich young ruler, but I'm not sure he was either a ruler or young, but he was a man anyway. And uh, in Mark 28, uh, sorry, Mark 10, verses 28 to 30, please, Rich. And um, so he, he's had this encounter with this man and, and he's told him that um, uh, there's uh, only one thing left for him to do, just give everything away that you have and, and then come and follow me. And, and, and everybody's finding that a bit difficult. And the teaching that, that follows, um, the, the cost of following Jesus is suddenly brought into stark reality. And, and people think, well, who then can be saved? If, if that's this guy, he's got no chance. Uh, and he went away sad, it says. And then Peter wants to justify himself. And he says this, he says, we have left everything to follow you. 
Um, I'll read this one because I'm not sure I'm on the, exactly the same version. So, we've left everything to follow you. And, uh, and Jesus says, truly I say to you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecution, persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. That's an amazing promise, but it's actually around this whole subject. So there are Peter saying we've left everything to follow you. Peter actually was married, but that there were others who weren't. And we've already heard from from St Paul and he was definitely not married. But actually Jesus promised to to those who have left the the world's sort of reference points that in this life, not in the next life, in this life you'll receive a hundredfold all those things, mothers, brothers, sisters, fathers, children, and fields, and homes. And so the question is, how does that get worked out? Um, I, I'm not going to say that we'll all become the owners of several houses, like, you know, even two houses, like the, the um, Pamela, who um, Alex has told us about. Because I, I don't think it was meant to be material. I'm sure it's not. But actually, um, Alex told another story, which I kind of hope was going to be, and I'm going to tell it for her now, because it, it's to do with, with her relationship with, with Mark and Jean. Um, and the family there, and, and just as we were chatting and preparing for this, she said she'd been staying in Leeds with them, and uh, and been there. I hope I get the story right now. Been there a, a short while, and and it was Jean is expecting a second child, and uh, the house was in a fair amount of bedlam um, with young um, Elijah running around everywhere, Mark chasing after him, and so she'd arrived and and made herself a cup of tea because it was just clear that nothing else was going to. You know, happen. And after a while, Jean calls to Mark and says, Mark, have you made Alex a cup of tea? And Mark's response was, she's not a guest, you know. And actually, that, that touched me more than anything, so that's why I'm telling it. Um, Alex is, is not a guest of that family. That is her family. That's how we would be. If, if you had family in the house and someone said, have you, have you made some, someone a cup of tea? You say, they can make their own cup of tea. And actually, the, there is a quality of relationship that is available to us in the family of God that is the same, and in fact, I would say better, than, than actually a biological family. Um, and that is what Jesus is promising. And to have more than one home is actually available to us in God's kingdom. We're, we're part of each other's families. But there's also a challenge to us because somehow this promise of Jesus is going to be delivered by us, the church, as well. And so we, we need to think about how we are orientated and whether we are actually enabling that to be fulfilled. The theme of, of what Jesus is saying there um, is actually mirrored in the Old Testament as well. In, in Psalm 68, um, uh, the psalmist says, God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. And he says, God sets the lonely in families. The principle has always been there. And in fact, um, there's a bit where um, in, in Luke 11, uh, someone in the crowd shouts out, uh, it, it's a lady shouts out and says, oh, you know, seeing all the stuff Jesus is doing and says, oh, blessed is the, the woman who gave birth to you because you're such an amazing, you know, the implication. And, and you think, yes, you know, I've, I've actually been the mother of Jesus would be quite a thing to be able to claim. And Jesus' response is, is not quite what we'd expect. He says, he says, greater blessing is found in someone who is obedient to my father. He's saying that the blessing of being mother of Jesus is actually surpassed by the blessings available to those who are obedient to the calling of Christ. It, 
we, we kind of skirt past these and don't really notice. And, I, and it's only because of Sam Albury's book that I've started to thought, oh my goodness, I, I just ignore this. Half I've been reading the Bible all these years. I've been a Christian for ages. And, and yet I don't notice these things. There's a, 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 some verses in Isaiah 56 that are addressed to eunuchs. And so those who, who for one reason or another, might uh, usually have been physically altered uh, so they could not have children. Kings would have typically have eunuchs as their servants because there, there was safety in that. There was an, an element of devotion because a eunuch could not be devoted to his own family. He wouldn't have one, a physical family. Um, but also he wouldn't attempt to bring his own son in to usurp the king. So there was a kind of safety for a king and uh, it would, in the sort of ages of, of when that was written. But, but actually the promise is that, that God has, some, has a reward better than sons and daughters for the eunuchs who are obedient to him. He says those who are obedient to him, those who don't have children of their own, have actually gained something better than sons and daughters. Okay, let's, um, I need to say something about marriage because it, it, it kind of, you know, otherwise, you know, the, the problem we've got is, is the language is really bad, is that um, we talk about being married or not married, but there's no proper words for, for, you know, we say being single, but everything is done in a, a negative way. Sam Albury makes the point, and I agree, that we talk about marriage, with, about all the positive things about being married, and we talk about singleness as, as all the negative things about being single, and we, we don't talk about the other half. So just, just need to say up front, though, this does not mean that my marriage is in severe difficulty, but, <laughs> but it's the, the truth in Scripture is this. Marriage is not meant to be the ultimate fulfillment of the human life. It's a, it's a signpost. It says very clear, clearly in the scriptures, marriage is a signpost. It's meant to point to the ultimate marriage between heaven and earth, between Jesus and the church. That, and and uh, when I was doing the, the talk with Marion on, on work, and I got into whether there was work in the next life, and, and I'm pretty sure there is. And, and what it's, but actually, what we also know in the next life, there is no marriage. There's only one marriage in the next life. And I'm being very careful now on saying the next life and not heaven because the next life, the new earth and heavens are combined. Heaven and earth have come together and that marriage is the one and only one. It's Jesus and his church. That's what God and, and all other marriages are supposed to point to that one. That's what they're for. And, and actually that is the ultimate fulfillment for every human being. That is what we're designed for. And if, in fact, we think our ultimate fulfillment is going to be found in a an actual marriage, a human marriage in this life, we are going to be disappointed. And people are continually disappointed. And the stats for marriage tell me that, that, that we live with continual disappointment because we put it up there and say, this is the be-all and end-all. If you get married, that'll be it. You know, and then you're sorted for life. And people talk in those terms and said, oh, you know, my, my daughter's grown up and now she's married, so that's sorted. It is not sorted. <laughs> Marriage is hard. It really is hard because you're, you're continually struggling to think of someone else. And, and there's something in us that doesn't want to think of someone else first. But also it brings other worries, which is why Paul, um, Paul in that bit we did at the very beginning, is saying uh, you'll have less worry in your life if, in fact, you are not married like I'm not married. You can devote yourself to the real things that matter, which is the work of God. Said, but and and when you read on in the passage, he says, but but if you if you know if you're too weak to deal with that, then I suppose you can get married. And I'm sure that's not quite what he means, but it, that's how it reads to me. <laughs> following Christ and remaining single actually points to that same truth, just as following Christ and being married points to that. 
and this is quite tricky to get around, but, but if we say every marriage is actually pointing towards the real marriage of the church and Christ, then actually being single in your life and a Christian points to the same thing, saying my fulfillment is not here on earth in the way that everyone else in the world around me thinks. My fulfillment is there in the next life, and, and I can experience a lot of what is actually available um, because Jesus promised it in this life, what was available to someone who is married and has children. I can experience that and be in Christ, and I do not need to get married. I do not need to have biological children because Jesus says so. Oh, in case, uh, did I mention there is no marriage? I did, didn't I? But Jesus actually says that. He's challenged about what happens to people who've been married several times in the resurrection. He says there is no marriage. It's in Matthew 22, if you're not sure. Um, okay. So as a church, we need to kind of work out how we're going to fulfill Jesus' promise to us. Um, and, and the church will deliver that promise. That's how we do it. This is the family of God. And Alex has, has uh, steered us towards that, that obvious truth anyway. But I, I think, uh, I was saying to Alex, I said, when did we last run a singles course in the church? Now I'm being facetious slightly, because, but we do have marriage courses, and we, we, you know, try and, but we don't do a lot, really, that says... Um, the, the kind of equipping and training of what it means to be single, even though Paul's teaching is suggesting that would actually be better for people. The, you know, so um, I, I think we, through history, the, the church universal has gone from one edge, one side of this to the other, backwards and forwards. So you go through periods where singleness is the only way to go forwards, and then, and then you say, well, what about marriage? And then that becomes the emphasis. And I think we're in the sort of overemphasis on marriage side of things at the moment in the church universal. But I, I think I'd like to tackle some of the things we can do, practical things we can do, um, and probably, and, and I managed to get it to three points, so that's exciting, isn't it? Never done a three-point sermon before, that's what you're supposed to do, apparently. Number one, hospitality. Now, it's highly esteemed in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, in, in Romans 12, uh, Paul again it says, seek to show hospitality. It's one of those things that, that we should do. And one Peter, uh, Peter writing, saying, um, and we should do it without, be hospitable without grumbling, which is even more of a challenge. And then when Paul's writing to Timothy and talking about qualifications for leaders in the church, in the list, along with the stuff that we would probably reject people for, like being drunk and, and lovers of money and, and having multiple wives, is in that list, it says they must be hospitable. Hospitality is, is a, a requirement to be a church leader. And then in Hebrews 13 to um, Paul, whoever writes Hebrews, I won't say Paul, whoever writes Hebrews, um, says we need to be hospitable to strangers. And it says, and, and some people have entertained angels unawares, it says, because they were being hospitable to, to strangers. And, and it, it ref, kind of alludes to the story in the Old Testament where that actually happened. Um, but ultimately, the reason hospitality is so important is that God himself has shown us hospitality we were strangers we were far off we were his enemies and he invited us into his family right into his family he is the most hospitable it's his nature and it's given to us to be the same that's why it's in the list of being such a vital thing an important thing it's not something we can uh, kind of leave out however hospitality and entertaining are not the same thing which is just as well, because if you're like me, well, they can't be quite like me, but I'm in the can't cook, won't cook category. <laughs> I'm not great at doing that sort of stuff, really. Um, I feel the pressure of trying to compete with friends who can cook so much better than I ever will. Um, 
and and actually if we it can become a competition we need to have people around and everything must be perfect and our home must be perfect and it, that's not what it's about hospitality is about the story that i've told about mark and jean they'll forgive me for putting them on the video it's about saying come and come and be part of the mess which is my family and and it anything in between is, is good but actually uh, i i need to just i'm was kind of hoping Ali and Kath wouldn't be here today because I'm going to slightly embarrass them. But, but they are examples of hospitality. I, I know that I can just turn up at their house anytime, and, and assuming they're in, they, they would welcome me in and say, do you want a cup of tea? Do you want to stay for dinner? That happens all the time. And they do it for lots and lots of people. Um, and, and people in and inside and outside the church. They, they are just hospitable people. You're never made to feel that you are a nuisance. You're just part of it. And, and so you can be there and say, oh, can you, can you put the kettle on? We, we need to make tea. You just get told to do it. And, and there's an expectation there that you're part of this. You're part of their extended family. But there are others in the church, and I could pick others. I just happen to have been the beneficiary of Ali and Kath over lots of years. Hospitality um, is something that we can continue to improve at. Um, Hazel and I are not perfect in this, but, but have been challenged by God to do better. And, and I hope we have made others feel part of our family. And we have a, a mixture of sort of married and single people who just kind of are part of our family now, is the way we think. Um, yesterday I went out for the day. Um, I had a really nice time, sat at Crumbet Water, and, and just kind of enjoying the fact that we live in the Lake District with a bunch of people, had a picnic. And, and that was a mixture of, of married and not married people and young people, and it was just marvellous. Um, we have a youth group that, that comes to our house on every other Friday and, and they're just typical teenagers and very demanding and rarely thankful. But, it, it's <laughs> but they are thankful sometimes and it really kind of grips you. But they've become part of our family. And, and that has been the case over, over decades while I've been in this church in particular. And there are people I can tell you about other places who are part of our family. And I still think of them like that. We don't see them very often. But but they're still part of our family. Okay. Friendship takes time to develop. You have to work at it. This is not automatic, and it is difficult to start with. So don't think, oh, well, that didn't go well, so I will never do that again. It just is difficult. We are human beings. We just rub up against each other. Second thing, then. So hospitality, number one. Second thing is to engage in raising children. Now, Jesus says that we will have all these children. Paul writes, and he, there are several people, not, there's Titus and Timothy and Onesimus and others he refers to as my true sons in, in Christ. He had people who were actual children to him. He, he says true sons. He's not just saying they're like sons. He's saying these are my true sons, spiritual sons. Although he never used the word spiritual, which we went to last time. Um, sons. But actually, in raising children, um, Hayes and I did that many years ago. I say we were married in 86, uh, had a child when we were in 1988, so two years later. And, and we've always, yeah, and so she's kind of grown up. And now we're about to do it all again uh, with the little girl we fostered. Um, and we're just about to adopt. But actually, we, we as part of that process, we had to um, get together with our um, uh, adopting social worker who has to kind of assess us. And she wanted to know What's your support network? And so we had this bunch of people we had around, and it wasn't, it wasn't complete, but it was several people um, all sort of came and, and listened to her, and she just proved that, that you really existed. Thank you. Um, but it was to demonstrate that actually this is a wider thing. And I was able to say to her, I honestly believe it takes a church to raise a child. 
and, and I know there's stuff that, that's put out there and, and an African phrase and it takes a village, but we, we have different priorities. It takes a church to raise a child. And so whether you're single or married is irrelevant as to whether you should be raising children. It actually comes with the job. You're part of fulfilling that thing about having lots of children. And so people who've got children, you need to share them with those who don't have children because you need their help. You cannot raise children on your own, I don't believe. And we certainly can't. We're far too old to be doing this, but, it, it's, but we can because in God we can and we have all you guys to help us do it. And, and that is true across the board and if you find someone says oh no I'm I'm you know perfectly capable of, of raising my own children that is just not true we need the help of others and what is more um, parents can be slightly competitive with one another so if someone else has got a child and you're saying well my child doesn't do that I don't even like to mention that I'm having this trouble and that that issue goes out the window if you've got a single person you can say to help me this is happening and I don't know what I'm doing please you know help me Practical support, pray for me, do something. I can't go on like this. It's much easier to share with someone who is not a competitor in this, uh, sadly. So actually, uh, it's a vital role. But, but we, can, we can all be involved, and we all must be involved. So think about that. I'm going to engage in raising the children in this church. And again, it takes energy to do it, but we, we can all do it. And uh, uh, yeah, let's just move on. Finally. I want to challenge us as a third thing, is, is to review our core values that we apply to ourselves and others. And so scripture teaches that romantic and sexual relationships are not a requirement for a fulfilled human life and are not the ultimate purpose of life. And if we model and teach that they are, and we might be doing it unconsciously, we are setting people up and ourselves up for disappointment and failure. And so let's embrace a much wider view of intimate friendships that, that model what Jesus experienced as well as promised, um, that, that lines up with, with actually what the scripture says. And that it starts in this life and it will be fulfilled in the next life. We will mess it up in this life, there's no question. But actually that, that, those core values need to be built in so that, that actually our reaction in, in difficult circumstances is the right one, it's the biblical one and it's not the world one we've inherited. It actually says, my, my life is going to be shaped by what Jesus has planned for it. And he's written it all down for us. And, and difficult passages in Corinthians are actually there to actually guide us in that. So I'll just recap those three things and then I'll kind of stop. So number one, hospitality. We're going to actually be hospitable people and we're going to work at it. Number two, we're all going to engage in raising children. And some of those children won't actually be part of the church and you'll be engaged in doing it there too. And thirdly, make sure that your values have come out of Scripture and not from somewhere else. It's a really big one, and actually, I, I can't do it justice in, in a preach, but I, I can tell you to, if, if any of these things are kind of sparking thing, is to read this book. It's not a difficult read, because even I've managed it. But I really do recommend it. Sam Albury, Seven Myths About Singleness. Thank you.